This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Please open in your Bibles to the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. If you need a Bible, go ahead and shoot your hand up in the air. We will make sure that everyone has a Bible in front of them so someone will get that to you. Thanks for doing that. We are continuing our series in this letter. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 today. This letter was written by a man named Paul to the ancient church of Colossae. And we've been seeing how really the theme of this letter is that spiritual life and growth does not come from Jesus plus a bunch of other things. It does not come from from Jesus, uh, things other than Jesus, but really True spiritual growth comes from not things other than Jesus, but more of Jesus. Uh, we don't move on from him. We move deeper and deeper into greater and greater understandings of him. The theme of Colossians is Christ is enough. Christ is enough. He is supreme, and he is sufficient. Last week, we started looking at Paul's opening prayer for this church, and we saw in verses 3 through 8 that Paul just starts by thanking God for all that he saw God doing in these people. This morning we're going to pick up in verses 9 through 14 and make our way through the rest of this prayer where Paul shifts from praying and thanking God for what he's doing in the church to asking God to do some specific things for this church and the things that I think we can ask God to do for us as well. So let's go ahead and turn our attention to God's word. First, uh, Colossians chapter 1 verses 9 through 14. God's word says, and so from the day we heard... We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. I want to encourage you actually to take this moment and spend some time just praying for God to speak to you through the preaching of his word. So let's take a moment. And just pray for yourself that God would open his word to you this morning through the preaching. And now would you please pray for me that I would speak clearly and faithfully to God in a way that is helpful to you. God, thank you for your word, which is a lamp shining in a dark place. By it, we are shown who you are, we're shown who we are, and we're shown the glory of Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we would see a little bit more of the glory of Jesus today as we hear your word, which has been read, now preached. By the power of your Holy Spirit, which inspired these words, may they be illuminated to our hearts so that a far greater sermon might be experienced than the one I'm actually going to give. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. In World War I... 
there was a sergeant named Leroy Miller fighting in Italy in the 10th Mountain Division. He was operating as a forward artillery observer. And the Germans spotted him on this hillside and they tried to drive him out of his spot by launching barrage after barrage of mortar shells against him. It went on for hours. Almost a whole division was devoted to trying to kill this one man. Why did the Germans spend so many resources on one lone soldier? Well, Leroy Miller was of no consequence himself. There's no reports that he was a good shot or had done much to uh, affect the enemy. Why they wanted to take him out was because Leroy Miller had a radio. And on this radio, he was using it to call out the enemy's positions and to call in airstrikes. And so every time the Germans were seeking to break the Allied positions in this battle, they'd be pushed back because of Leroy and his radio. Even though he did not have much power in himself, he was a man who was connected to an overwhelming power. Friends, that is what prayer is. Prayer connects people who do not have much power in and of themselves. It connects us to an overwhelming power. And God's power in prayer is not just something that we are to pursue for ourselves, but really what we're seeing modeled to us here through Paul, this is a power that we are to pursue for the good of one another. There is a place certainly to ask for prayer for ourselves, as Paul himself will do later in this letter. But he does not start by asking prayer for himself. Instead, he starts by praying for other people. And this was not just Paul's habit. This wasn't just a Paul thing. No, Acts chapter 2 verse 42 tells us that one of the things the local church did when they gathered was they devoted themselves to the reading of scripture and to praying for one another. And through this, they weren't doing something new. They were doing what they'd been taught by Jesus. Jesus who taught his disciples how to pray. And he said what? He said, our Father who is in heaven. Notice, not my Father, but our Father. Every word in the Lord's Prayer is in the plural because Jesus expected prayer to be something that we would be doing for one another. However, I think when it comes to our prayer life, often the balance between praying for ourselves and praying for others, I think sometimes it can look a little bit like this. I took a picture of it that maybe captures this. We'll see if we can get that projected. There we go. So yeah, uh, we, have, we have a strong prayer life for ourselves. The other side uh, looks a little bit more like Pastor Matt without a shirt on. Um, so, I'm just kidding, buddy. Um, my friends know I love them dearly. Um, we can just be so imbalanced. We can be so imbalanced. We think that prayer is private, the prayer is for me. We think about our own needs and prayers. Now listen, prayer should be in private. We do have our own needs in prayer. We should be praying for ourselves, certainly. But, part of what God wants to do in us is what he wants to do through us praying for one another. Part of what God wants to do in our lives is what he wants to do in other people's lives through us praying for them. And so this morning, I want to talk about the power of a praying church, the power of a praying church. I want to take us through this passage and see three things that we can learn from the Apostle Paul about how we can experience more of being a church that connects in that radio of power to operate God's power on behalf of one another. First, if we want to experience the power of a praying church, then we should be praying for others consistently. We should be praying for others consistently. Paul says in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, meaning he heard about this church and what's going on in their lives, he says, We have not ceased to pray for you. 
Now, by saying that he hasn't ceased to pray for them, Paul certainly doesn't mean that he's praying 24-7. I mean, I think he, he had to sleep like the rest of us. Uh, he also had a number of other churches that he prayed for on a consistent basis. But that's what Paul is communicating. What he's communicating is that he's praying for them consistently. When he's saying he's praying without ceasing, he's praying that he regularly and repeatedly would lift this church up before God and pray for their good. This was not an occasional activity for Paul. This was a consistent habit. However, I think sometimes we treat prayer like the way people can treat their gym memberships. It's nice to know you have the option. Eh, but will you participate or not? You know, give or take. But that's, that's, that, that, that's not what prayer is meant to be about. Prayer is meant to be a consistent pouring of our hearts out to God. And yet, how often we can be just so inconsistent. And I think sometimes we're inconsistent. You know, it could be a lack of discipline. It could be a lack of discipline in our lives, a lack of just building those healthy habits. But sometimes, I think if we're really honest, it's not a lack of discipline. Or a lack of consistency can sometimes be a lack of faith. We don't pray because we're not really sure that prayer always works. We can feel like there are other, more practical, better things to do. I think pastor and author Dane Ortland is exactly right when he writes this. The battle to pray is not mainly a battle against prayerlessness, but a battle against discouragement, cynicism, and unbelief. We go to pray, but then we remember all the prayers that we've prayed that haven't been answered. And that can make it very hard to get on your knees and want to pray again. How often we pray and things don't happen immediately or they don't happen as we think they should. And so we conclude that prayer doesn't work and we get discouraged and we can be inconsistent in our prayers. But friends, that kind of thinking shows that we're misunderstanding what prayer is. We expect prayer to be us going and telling God what to do. We're forgetting what prayer is. What, what are we doing when we're praying? We are going to God, which is what? An acknowledgement that we are not God. It's an acknowledgement that, 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 that we are not Him. That our ways are not His ways. Our thoughts are not His thoughts. And so yes, we can go with our requests. We can pour out our hearts before Him. And we should do that. We should bring God our requests and our prayers. But ultimately, we should not bring them demanding that God do what we want, but rather surrendering them to God and what He says He will. In other words, we should pray the way Jesus prayed. Not my will be done, but your will be done, O Lord. Prayer is not about demanding. It should be about surrendering. And I think we will grow and pray more consistently if we start believing more honestly that we can bring our requests to God and then trust God for the answer that he brings. God always answers prayers. It just might be no or it might be not now. But God never hears a prayer that he does not answer. But the point is he doesn't answer to us. He knows what is best for us and so he answers in a way that is right according to him. And so I think the more that we understand what prayer is, it's an acknowledgement that there's a God who's greater than us, the more that we understand what prayer is, the more that we then position ourselves to be like, Lord, I want to ask you for this specific thing in surrender and with an open hand. And that as we do that, we can begin to trust more and more the answers that God gives. And I think when we think about that, when we think about prayer in terms of surrender, not demands, I think this will actually help us to be more consistent and regular in our rhythms. And I think if we do want to be 
uh, see God move powerfully in prayer, we do need to be consistent and regular in our rhythms. God can work despite our prayers, but we'd much rather work through our prayers. He doesn't need us to pray in order to get done what he wants to get done, but he'd love to use us to pray in order to get done what he wants to get done, right? God can work around you or he can work through you. It's better if he works through you. And so how can we seek to be consistent? Well, if you want to be consistent with anything, you know it's going to come through building a habit. The idea of just, I want to get better at this with no plan to actually get better at it won't serve you whatsoever. Uh, If you go and buy a gym membership without actually first figuring out in your schedule when you can go to the gym, well, I'm grateful that you're donating to a local gym, uh, but it's not going to do you any type of good. The first thing you need to figure out is how you actually can build a rhythm of working out in your life. Then you go get the gym membership. I feel like I'm selling gym memberships today. I promise I'm not. I promise I'm not. Um, I just re up and they, you know, charge me a million dollars. So it's, pre- it's a, you know, fresh in my mind. Um, but I want to encourage you. Actually, I, I, a few years ago, I was actually, just to be very honest with you, was struggling in my prayer life. I'm someone who is more naturally uh, prone to, I love to read, I love to write. Um, Those things are the easier parts of what I do. Praying comes harder for me. It's just not something I'm naturally as prone to do. And so I was talking to a pastor about that, and he just really encouraged me um, that if you want to try to add in a habit, don't just try to add a new habit. Try to find an existing habit and modify it. Um, And so what, what he was saying is find something that you already do and think about how you can include prayer in that. So that you can not just try to add something new to your schedule, but modify something in your schedule. And that's been really helpful for me. So I have a dog um, whom I love uh, with all my heart, just less than my family, a little bit. And um, he, uh, I take him on a walk every morning and every, and every night. It's just kind of my thing. We go, on a, we go on a long walk together. And so that's a habit that I have. And so it's been really good and helpful is those become prayer walks for me. Right? Walking my dog has become a physical cue to remind me that I should pray. And so I'll spend time in prayer on those walks. I'll pray for things going on in my life. And I'll pray a lot of times for you and things going on in your life and things going on in our church. And so uh, those aren't the only times I pray. But I've noticed that practicing that consistency has helped me then increase my spontaneity. Uh, and I certainly have room to grow. Uh, but I'm grateful that, that when you find that opportunity to create a habit that God can build consistency over time. Charles Spurgeon, who's a 19th century preacher, he said the greatest kindness that we can do for someone is to pray for them. So I want to ask you, how consistently kind are you towards others by praying for them? And, And maybe that's something you want to grow in. Well, what's a habit? What's something you already do in your life already? And how can you incorporate prayer in that? And not just prayer for you, but prayer for others. We want to see God move powerfully in other people's lives, then part of how he's going to move powerfully in other people's lives is through us praying consistently for them. We need to pray for others consistently. Point number two, we need to pray for others to embrace God's will. To embrace God's will. He says, we have not ceased to pray for you, verse 9, asking that you may be filled with all the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. To be filled there means to be completely under the control of. To be totally permeated by, to be dominated by God's will. Now, usually when we think about God's will, we can think about specific choices. So is it God's will that I take that job or not? And so we think about praying for God's will that we could kind of discover this guidance in our life. And listen, that's a good thing to pray. You should pray about what job you should take or not. That's a good thing to do. But the primary way that Scripture speaks about God's will is not these specific choices that we make, but rather what God's revealed in his word that we are to do. 
And so Psalm chapter 143 verse 3 says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Notice, he does not say, show me what your will is. It's like, no, I know what your will is, teach me to do it. Teach me to do it. Psalm 40 verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will, O my God. What's his will? Your law is written, written within my heart. Law is one of the ways that the Bible talks about the scriptures. And so how we know God's word, I mean will, is by knowing God's word. He's revealed his will for us through the words that he has given us. And so we should not think about God's will, will as some kind of hidden treasure that we need to hunt for. Rather, God's will is a roadmap that we're called to follow. And so Paul's praying that these Colossians, as he's saying that they would know God's will, he's really praying that they would know their Bibles. They'd be controlled by, that they'd be under the dominance of God's will as expressed through his word. Remember, as we said in the opening sermon, that one of the issues facing the Colossians was that they had begun to include pagan ideas into their Christianity. There were all kinds of things in their church that were getting passed off as God's will that had nothing to actually do with his word. And so that's why Paul's praying that they would know God's words, so they could sort out these other things that were not in God's word. And I think the same can be true for us today. How often we can say things thinking that this is what God's will is, but it has nothing to do with what God's word has said. So we say things like, well, God wants me to be happy. God wants me to be happy. Usually that gets said when we justify doing something that we know actually God does not want us to do at all. Um, actually, God says a lot more about our holiness than our happiness. First uh, Peter chapter 1.16, we are to be holy as he is holy. Uh, as we read in Psalm 40, that his delight, how we should be happy is what? By his law following what God has said. Um, another phrase, God helps those who help themselves. God helps those who help themselves. Actually, the Bible says the exact opposite. The Bible says God helps those who know he needs his help. Right? You, you want God's help? You need to know you need his help. Because in our weakness, he is strong. It's by admitting our need for God that God meets us in that need. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10. We say things like, God never gives us more than we can handle. God never gives us more than we can handle. Um, in my Bible, there's a story where Peter gets told to step out of a boat and walk on water. I'm pretty sure he couldn't handle that in and of himself. God gives us more than we can handle all the time, but he never gives us more than we can handle without him. Right? And so uh, we need to understand not just how to be more independent, and I can do this because God never gives me more than I can handle. We need to understand how to be more dependent and like I can do this because even though I'm weak, again, he is strong. And so we have all these phrases that get thrown around as if they're if God, you know, God's word, if they're God's will, but they're not in God's word. We need to know God's word if we're then going to be able to follow God's will. But it's one thing to know God's word. It's another thing to want to do God's word. It's one thing to know God's word. It's another thing to understand God's word. You can be in the presence of knowledge and have no understanding of it at the same time. That's kind of like me in every single math class I took in high school, right? I'm in the presence of knowledge, but I have no understanding. Uh, I have no desire to understand what's happening here at all. Why do I need to find X? I didn't lose it. You know, you find it. It's your fault, you know? Understanding all the parents are going to mad at me. You're like, yeah, okay. I was told I would use algebra later, and then I became a pastor, so there. Um, but... You know, understanding is, is really about taking knowledge and knowing how to wisely apply it to your life. It's not about just being in the presence of knowledge, but knowing that it actually does make a difference and how it is to make a difference in our lives. And so Paul prays not just that they would know God's word, 
But he prays that they would understand God's word, that they'd be walking in wisdom, that they'd want to embrace it. It's really that they want to take God's will as revealed through his word, and they want to live it out in their lives. That's, that's what he's praying for here. Right? If, if we want to follow God, it takes a spiritual understanding. It takes a yielding of our will so that we want to follow it, so that we want to embrace it. And so we should pray this for ourselves. We should pray this for ourselves, and we should pray this for others. We should pray that, that we and the people around us, the people that we know, would be people who would, who would want to know God's word and want to come under it and embrace it as our good in our lives. And friends, man, when we start praying this way, hell shakes at the idea of God's people knowing, understanding, and living out God's will. You know what gets Satan nervous? It's when he can't stop duping us with his lies about what God says because we know what God actually says. And not only do we know what God says, but we want to follow what God says. How's the kingdom of God advance and advances through his word being followed as he becomes more and more the king of our hearts as we follow him in our lives. And so we should pray this for ourselves. We should pray this for others. We need to pray for others consistently that we would embrace God's will. Pray for others consistently that we would embrace God's will as expressed through his word. And then finally, we point out three, we need to pray for others to please God. We need to pray for others to please God. Pray for others consistently. Pray for others to embrace God's will. And pray for others to please God. God. Paul goes on when he says that his reason that he's praying for these Colossians to embrace God's will, right, to have knowledge, spiritual understanding, and wisdom, he says he wants them to do that. Why? Verse 10 gives us a so. Whenever you see the so, it's giving you the purpose uh, of why he's praying for this. He goes, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Paul's praying for these believers to be people who embrace God's will so that they would please God. Friends, God is honored, not just when we do what he says, but when we want to do what he says. God is honored when, when we walk, want to walk in a way that is worthy of him. God, you are so great and so good. I don't want to live life on my terms. I want to live life on your terms, because you are worth it. You see, you know someone has your heart, when what pleases them becomes what pleases you. And so God wants what pleases him to be what pleases us. Because that's a way to show that God has our hearts. One of the reasons that I know my wife loves me is because she watches sports with me. Right? It's a big deal. She does not have a competitive bone in her body. Uh, when the team I'm rooting for loses, she'll say things like, oh, you know, it's okay. She'll try to comfort me. Uh, at least the other team is happy that they won. And I'm like, you just don't understand. <laughs> He's still not helping right now, not helping, right? But she does that because she loves me, and that, that actually shows, shows me, that encourages me, right? And for me, um, I love her by learning to eat all the exotic foods uh, that she loves to eat, foods that I can't even pronounce the name of. I grew up in a very meat and potatoes type uh, of diet. Uh, a wild night in the Betra household was we put barbecue sauce instead of ketchup on our, our hot dogs. Like, that was like a big, big deal, right? And so, very, very bland kind of diet. And she, like, you know, really from her very first dating relationship, was like, let's go try out these new foods. And I don't even, like, I've never seen these things before. I can't pronounce it. I don't know what's going on here, but I love you, and so I will try to eat this. Now, I'll be honest, it's actually worked out pretty good for me because there's who knew? There were better, there's better food out in the world than hot dogs. So, um, you know, in one of the many ways my wife has made me a better man. But, uh, but we honor each other by seeking to please each other. Right? We honor each other by seeking to please each other. Friend, God is honored when we seek to please him. And so we should pray for one another 
that we would want to please God. We should pray for one another that we'd want to please God. That we wouldn't just believe in him, that we'd want to follow him, that we'd want to love him. That we, we would not just know his will, but we want to embrace it in our hearts. And then Paul goes on specifically to give four ways about how we can pray, God, pray uh, be pleasing to God. It says, walk in a manner worthy of him. And then watch. Here's how we walk in a manner worthy of him. Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for endurance and patience. And giving thanks to God. So four ways that we walk in a way that are pleasing to God. So first, he prays that they would please God by bearing fruit in every good work. The Bible is very clear that we're not made right with God through doing good works. We are saved by faith alone and Jesus alone. But if we have faith in Jesus, that faith is meant to be like a seed that when it gets on the soil of our hearts, it sprouts the fruit of good works to others. We're not saved by our good works. We are saved to do good works. So much so that the James will say that if you don't have good works, you might wonder if you're even saved. Uh, because the faith, the, the, the seed of the gospel cannot go into a heart and not produce fruit of doing good works with people's lives. We're not saved by our good works, but we are saved to do good works. And so we should be praying for other people that, that, that good works will be coming from their life. We should be praying for other people that God would maximize their gifts, their resources, and the time that God has given them. That God would help them to know how to steward those things well in order to do maximal good to others. Right? The Christian is commanded in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 to, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are the household of faith. See, it pleases God when we care about the people he made and seek to do good to them. And it really pleases God when we care about the people that God has made in his church, the family that God has brought together by the blood of Jesus, and seek to do good to one another. Yet this runs totally counter to our culture. Our culture is very much a self-focused world, that we think about how we can use our gifts, our resources, and our time to get ahead for ourselves. And so we get a promotion, and we immediately think about how we can spend more money on us instead of be more generous towards others. We get a career opportunity to move, and we just move without thinking about how our absence will impact the community that we leave behind. What comes natural for us is just to think about our lives in terms of ourselves. But what is supernatural is to think about positioning our lives not in terms of maximizing what we can get for ourselves, but instead maximizing how we can serve other people. And just think with me for a moment about how powerful a community it would be if people were committed not to thinking of themselves, but instead bearing the good fruit of service towards others. There would be no need in such a community. There would be no lack Right? There'd be no 57 emails asking for volunteers for this particular outreach. Like stuff would just get done. There would just be service because God was worth it. And so it's like I'm giving them all for him. Man, that would be a powerful community that would be doing damage for the Lord's kingdom. Friends, what we're being told here is we're not just to imagine such a community. We're to pray for it. We're to pray for it. We're to pray for one another that we would bear this good fruit of service. Second, he prays that they would please God by increasing in their knowledge. He says, bearing good fruit and increasing in the knowledge of God. God does not want us to be content with just what we know about him. He wants us to continually grow in what we know about him. A relationship that's not growing is not like a net neutral. A relationship that's not growing is in decline. God wants us to have a healthy relationship with him, and healthy things are always growing things. And so we should be praying for one another that we be learning more and more about God, and therefore growing more and more in our love 
before God. But we don't always grow. Why, why is that? How do we grow in increasing in our knowledge of God? What, what's he praying for here? What's this look like practically? Uh, well, there's a movie called Idiocracy, which actually I haven't seen. So no idea if it's a bad movie or a good movie. So don't quote me. Kids don't use this. Pastor Jeff said I can see this movie. I'm not saying you should see it. I don't know if it's any good. But I did see a clip. And so praise God for the little clips that we can watch. You don't have to watch a whole movie. You can just watch three minutes. It's great. Uh, and in this clip, in this clip, what was going on is basically this dystopia society. And uh, these farmers are trying to grow these crops. And they can't figure out why their crops aren't growing. Uh, and so they call in these experts. And the experts are like, okay, let's look at what you're doing. And, uh, and they're like, I don't know what's happening. We water these crops every single day. Uh, there there's, must be something wrong. And so let's show me the process. So they see these water lines go out, and they start watering, you know, the water that they're using. And they see it's, it's colorful liquid coming out. And they're like, well, what is this? What are you watering this with? The best kind of water there is, Gatorade, you know? And it's like, well, there's your problem. Uh, you, you, things do not grow when they're not watered with the right substance. Friends, we will not grow if we're not being regularly watered with God's word. We will not grow as Christians if we're not being regularly watered with God's word, right? We talked about this earlier. Knowledge of God's will comes through his word. And so we can't grow in knowledge of God without growing in our knowledge of his word. And yet how often we try to grow and we think we can grow by taking in things that are spiritual Gatorade and taking in which is actually spiritual life. How easy it is for us to go through life and spend so much time being watered by podcasts, so much time being watered by our latest Netflix show, so much time being watered by social media, and we wonder why we aren't growing. It's because we're watering ourselves with the wrong things. Friends, if our media intake outpaces our Bible intake, we will never be in a healthy place. We'll never be in a healthy place. So we should be praying for one another that God would awaken us in a desire to, to be in his word, right? This is why we preach from God's word. We pick a book of the Bible and we just make our way through it. Right? This is why we meet in our community groups to discuss what we're learning from God's word in the sermons. This is why we have Bible studies for men and women throughout the week where we just saturate ourselves in God's word. We want to be a church that is regularly watered by the word of God so that we can be increasingly growing in our knowledge of the word of God. Because growing and knowing God pleases God. Growing and knowing God pleases God. Third, Paul prays that they would please God by enduring in his strength. By enduring in his strength. He says, being strengthened with all power, in verse 11, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. The Greek word for endure there is hypo, uh, monon. Hypo, monon. Hypo meaning under, and monon meaning heat. And so really what he's saying is this is how you are to live when you are under heat. To be able to take the heat and not flame out, but to stay strong. That's what it means to endure. The word for Patience there is macro, meaning long, uh, thymian, which means time. And so to be under heat for a long time, that's endurance and patience. That's what he's saying pleases God. God sees us taking heat when he sees us going through it, and yet still believing and acting like he is worth it, staying true to God even when we're under heat for a long time, oh, that is pleasing to the Lord. Now, what I really love about this verse, though, is did you see the way that we can endure with all patience and joy? It says being strengthened according to the power of his great might. I find that so encouraging. Because like I said, I'm not good at math, but I was fairly good at English. And so here's what we understand with what's going on in this, in this verb. That word being strengthened is, means it's, it's a passive verb, which means that the one who's receiving the action 
is passive in that situation. So what that really means is we're, we don't endure and we don't be patient by being strong ourselves. We are able to endure and be patient because we're being strengthened by someone outside of ourselves. We have a power to endure in our faith. We have a strength to fight the good fight and make it to the end that doesn't come from us, but flows into us from the very power of God. It says we are strengthened according to his glorious might. If you're anything like me, as we walk out our life of faith, we can so often be aware that we are so weak. We can so often be aware that we are so full of limits. We can be so often aware of our own struggles. And in all that, God doesn't say, you need to do better. you got to be strong. What's wrong with you? No, our hope is that God says, I'm strong. And let me show you how I can strengthen you. Paul's prayer here is not like the Colossians, is that the Colossians would not act like they have it all together. His prayer is that they would be humbly dependent on the power of God to hold them together. And this is what we should be praying for one another. We should be praying for this for one another. God, I know that that parent is going through that thing today. Help them to be dependent on you. They might experience your strength. God, I know this person is being so tempted by this kind of sin right now. God, help them to stay strong in the strength that you provide them to withstand what's coming in their lives and honor you. God, I know that this person is struggling. I know that they're carrying a heavy burden of sorrow upon their heart. God, let them know that they are not in it alone, but that you are with them by your power to strengthen them in your comfort. We've got to pray for others to be strengthened. Be strengthened because in and of ourselves, we are not strong. In and of ourselves, we are not strong. There's a uh, book called Lead by Paul Tripp where he talks about this pastor who had had a moral failing. And uh, he comes in, you know, Paul Tripp to kind of deal with the aftermath of that. And one of his diagnoses of that situation was the pastor had certainly done some things wrong, but he actually had a lot of criticism to bring to the pastoral team. It's like he never prayed for the man. And so part of his failure is on you. Now, I don't know if I would go that far to say it that strong, but part of what he's saying is that what God wants to do in our lives to strengthen one another, what God wants to do in our lives to strengthen us is not just up to us, but it's what we are to be praying for another. Are we going to strengthen one another? Right? Our walk is our own walk, and we take responsibility for our own walk, right? You can't blame anyone else for your struggles in life. But friends, if we have friends who are struggling, we can be a support to them by praying for them. We can help them get strength that they would not have in and of themselves by praying for them to be strengthened in the Lord. And when we endure, when God sees us enduring through his strength, man, that pleases him. Enduring faith is a pleasing faith. So friends, let's pray for another that we would endure. Finally, he prays that they would please God by giving thanks. He says, giving thanks to God who has qualified you. Now, I, I preached the whole sermon last week on gratitude, so I don't want to re-preach that sermon. Uh, but we saw the, the spiritual gift that gratitude was. But the point here is that it pleases God when we say thanks to him. And then Paul, what I love is he goes on and gives some pretty incredible reasons that we have to give thanks. So he gives thanks to God who has qualified you. Friends, you might not qualify for a very high credit score here on earth. But you are qualified to receive what this says here 
an inheritance of the saints of light. Because Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that you couldn't. Because he came and died the death that you deserved. Because he came and rose from the grave to prove that his life was enough to accomplish all righteousness for you and his death was enough to pay all of your debt of sin. He rose to new life with salvation in his hand so that you could have salvation in him and not just salvation in the sense of being forgiven of your sins but salvation in the sense of getting his inheritance. Right? We saw this as we looked at the very beginning uh, of Colossians. To be a saint is to be someone who is counted as holy not because we're perfect but because we are united to Christ and he is perfect. Right? To be a saint does not mean you have to go through some extensive process. No, it means you have to put your faith in Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a saint because to be a Christian is to be in Christ. And when you're in Christ, God not only sees you as him, but he treats you as him. And so what that means is the inheritance that Christ is enjoying in glory, all spiritual blessings that are his, friends, they are also those who are in him. In Christ, we have every spiritual blessing his righteousness does cover our sinfulness we are justified we are sanctified and one day we will be glorified give thanks to God friend you are qualified in Jesus and not only are we qualified in him but it says that he has delivered us for the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son friends if you have placed your faith in Jesus then you have been delivered from the domain of darkness You are no longer living under the sway of your sin and Satan. When your temptations come to you saying, you must give in to me, you can't say no to me. We have the power in Christ to say, no, I can because that's not who I am anymore. I might still struggle in dabbling with darkness, but I'm not living under the domain of darkness. I've been transferred. I can live victoriously because I've been brought out in victory of my king. Right? And so it doesn't mean that we won't struggle with sin. It doesn't mean we won't battle with sin. But it does mean that we are no longer under the domain of sin. We have been delivered by our king. We live in his kingdom. Every Christian is a monarchist. Right? You might... In this earth, in this country, you might consider yourself a Democrat, you might consider yourself a Republican, you might consider yourself a Libertarian, you might consider yourself a no-votarian. I don't know. But regardless of your political affiliation, every Christian is a monarchist because we have a king. To be a Christian is to believe someone who believes absolutely in the monarchy. Not in what's going on in England, and I really don't understand that whole situation. But, uh, but, but we should understand the situation that we have spiritually. We have a king, and his name is Jesus. In the fall, we're going to be doing a series in the book of Judges. Um, which just buckle up for that. It is a wild and chaotic book where all kinds of crazy stuff happens. But there's this phrase that keeps getting repeated again and again throughout that book. It says, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel, and so everyone did what was right in their eyes. There was no king, and so it was total chaos because there was no king to bring order. When there is no king, there's no authority. And when there's no authority, there's just power dynamics that rule. And so it's everyone, it's the oppressors and the oppressed constantly fighting each other, right? And constantly living in these power dynamics and these conflicts, there's always strife and chaos when there is no king. But when there's a king, 
There is order because everything is under his authority. And when your king is a king of righteousness and justice, what a beautiful kingdom that is to be a part of. The point of the book of Judges is there was no king, but they sure needed a king, and we have a king, and his name is Jesus. And in his kingdom, he not only rules with justice, in his kingdom there is forgiveness. Verse 14, we have in this kingdom of his beloved son, redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Friends, our king is not an exacting king. He's not a ruling tyrant. He is the king who came to bring about the forgiveness of our sins. And so this is why he's the king who came and his crown was a crown of thorns. This is why he was the king who came and his scepter was the iron spikes nailing him to a cross of wood. And the throne from which he rules is that throne of Calvary, from which he gave his blood shed for us. Our king is a king who gave his life to forgive us of our sins. And so for those who know life under this kind of king, oh, what reason we have to give thanks. What reason we have to give thanks. As we heard earlier from the hymn writer who wrote that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. No matter what's going on in our earthly situations, how are we doing? Oh, we're doing well in the things that count. What reason we have to give thanks if we know that in Christ we are qualified. In Christ we've been delivered. In Christ we have been redeemed. In Christ we have been forgiven. And so friends, what we should be praying for here is we should be praying that we be people who live with gospel gratitude. Pray for another. That despite the hardships that we can go through, when someone's going through a hard time, don't just pray for them to be delivered from that hard time. Pray for that. But pray that they would know thanksgiving and gratitude even in the midst of that hard time. That their earthly circumstances would not shake their heavenly perspective, but they'd be living with thanks to God because that pleases God. Friends, a praying church is a powerful church. Praying church is a powerful church. And so Paul is directing the Colossians here to teach them to pray for one another so they could experience the power of God in their midst. A praying church is a powerful church. And that's true because God's word says it. But friends, that's true because we as a church have experienced it. We've been here for about eight, nine years now, so not everyone might know the genesis of this church and our story. But friends, to be very clear, without the power of this prayer, this church would have been over before it even started. This church started because I was leading a group of people into this neighborhood, and we came in all bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to go. Take the city for Jesus. And a few months into the start of what was supposed to be this launch, uh, my Crohn's disease, which had been in remission for about eight years, flared up in a really dramatic way. The worst it's ever been. My local doctor threw up his hands and said, uh, we really can't help you, which is never something you want to hear a doctor say. Uh, they usually know what they're doing. And so when they say they don't know, you know you're in big trouble. And so they referred me to uh, the only person they thought in the world who could do, handle what was going on with me at that moment. So I had to go out of state um, and spent cumulatively about two months in the hospital. Uh, had ended up having a very extensive surgery that led to a pretty horrible recovery uh, for about three months. During this time, uh, this building was an empty shell. We were meeting in someone's living room. Uh, we were supposed to move in this building because it's kind of awkward to invite people out to a new church that's starting in a living room. Don't worry, we're not a cult. We're just meeting in someone's basement. Like, you know. um, 
So, so, so we wanted to have a building where we could invite people to come hear the gospel, but we got this building, but there was a lot of work that needed to be done. We had no electricity, we had no plumbing, uh, we were not allowed to legally live, uh, be here. Uh, there was all this work that had to be done. And I was the general contractor, uh, which if you know me is an absolute joke. Um, and it was my job to make sure all the work got done. Uh, we did that because we had no money to hire a general contractor. And so when you are poor, uh, you'll do whatever it takes. And so this church was started without a pastor and without a place to meet. But what this church lacked in leadership and in resources, they made up for in prayer. And they just prayed for another. This church plant team prayed for the strength to endure. They prayed for increasing knowledge. They prayed to bear good fruit. They prayed to do good God's will. And in this, they were not praying for themselves. If it was about themselves, no one would have stayed. Right? This thing was dead in the water. But they weren't praying for themselves. They were praying for one another. And quite frankly, they were praying for you, all the people that would come to this place. And so when I come in here now, and we're not a big church by any stretch. But when I come in here now and I see all that God has done, when I come in and turn lights on that work, when I come in and see chairs set up and people sitting in them and worshiping God, when I see you coming through these doors and all of God's work that he's doing in your lives, and when I think about the miracle that I'm still alive to see this, you can't tell me there isn't power in a praying church. You can't tell me that we don't have a radio from which we can call in God's overwhelming force to push back the enemy advances. Friends, the whole reason we're here is because there's power in a praying church. And so may what God has done inspire us for what God can do. And let's not just be inspired for it. Let's pray for it by praying for one another. Inspire our heads now. Word of